Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Stay tuned, and coming up, I will tell you how you can use ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And by Fantasy Foresight. If you play fantasy football, you have got to have Fantasy Foresight, the podcast. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Are you laughing, Sean? Leroy was different. He actually one time tried to shoot me. Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> Did you just laugh, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. I don't even have a computer in my house. I don't even have a smartphone, none of that stuff. Somebody calls me and says, Jim, Here's your email by phone delivery. I, I gave this lady a note. It says, do you like me? Yes or no? And she wrote in, maybe. I knew something was wrong then because uh, just the aura and the vibe. I can remember one of the ER people walking out, meeting me and giving me the news. They got my shirt off. They got my jacket off. But the tie got knotted and they just didn't take the tie off. So I'm laying there with my tie. and He saw an opportunity and he just came up and... Uh, you know, kind of got on my back and uh, strangled me with the tie. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. I want to thank you once again for tuning in. Uh, it has been some week coming off an episode with Sergeant Slaughter. Now, if you have been listening to the podcast uh, for a while, uh, we've been doing this for over a year, well over a year now. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter was at the top of my list. He was one of the top guys I wanted to get on this podcast and uh, pursued him and talked to him and had phone calls with his handlers and uh, saw him at some events and uh, finally ran into him in Chicago. And we had a real long chat and he's like, all right, let's do it. So I uh, got his phone number and uh, we hooked up and we just had a tremendous conversation, three and a half hours. Now, <laughs> when we were getting started, uh, he asked me, you know, how long is this going to go, maggot? <laughs> And uh, I said, well, if I can get you for an hour, Sarge, I'm good. Well, we just kept going and going and going. And, you know, I have that early morning job uh, as a news anchor. And uh, before we wrapped up, it was it was dark in my neighborhood. And I live out in Arizona. I know it was really late in North Carolina where Sarge was. And think about this, uh, guys. Um, he was over there in hurricane territory. And I kid you not. He was uh, getting set to leave his house because of the approaching hurricane uh, that was coming uh, to the coast of the Carolinas there. And he was supposed to go to uh, farther inland, much farther inland to his his daughter's place to ride it out. And he never mentioned it. I kind of forgot about it. And before I knew, well, we hung up that phone call, uh, the, I mean, the podcast there where we got off the lines. Uh, I was thinking, oh, my gosh. I mean, it's dark there. I mean, he's going to head to uh, wherever he was going. Um, and the hurricane's coming in, but, uh, what a response we had, uh, to that podcast. He really got into a, a lot, uh, on his career, his life. Of course, Sarge and I have a great connection, uh, with Lord Alfred Hayes. Lord Alfred Hayes was one of, uh, Bob's, uh, best friends. They, uh, you know, uh, early on in the business before either one of them got to the WWF, WWE, um, they worked, uh, the territories together. And became really very close. And Alfred, if you remember during that uh, podcast, um, Sarge revealed that he called him Matthew. 
And I always wondered why, why you, why do you call him Matthew? I mean, I knew his name was Robert Remus and I knew he was Sarge and why, why that? Well, uh, when, uh, back in the day and these guys were, uh, you know, pretty big names in the territories there and they traveled around to all these different hotels and to, you know, keep people from bothering them. You know, a lot of the fans would hang out. Um, they would register under alias names, AKAs and Sarge's, uh, was, uh, Matt Burns. That was his alias. And so of course, Alfred, everything was very formal to him. When he would, he would always say my, you know, Sean Edmund Mooney, which who, who's the only person ever who was allowed to, to call me that, uh, because I don't use my middle name, but uh, once Alfred found out what it was, he was relentless. Um, and there's a little fun fact for you guys today. If you hadn't heard that before, um, but, you know, Alfred was a Sean Edmund Mooney and he called, uh, Sarge Matthew. And that was why, because of his alias, Matt Burns. And I think even at one time, a Sarge had wrestled under the name of Matt Burns. So, um, anyway, I just really, really enjoyed that. And, um, the response was just tremendous. And, you know, we do these metrics that keeps track of, you know, how many people download the podcast and, um, we got a great response right off the bat. That's what usually happens. You get this big spike on the day it drops Wednesday, uh, Wednesdays at 6 AM Eastern time. So we got this big spike with Sarge. And then, you know, as the days go forward there, it starts to drop. You just see the whole peak there. Well, what happened was, I mean, two days in this thing spiked again and, uh, we got, uh, you know, a few thousand more listeners that came to listen to it. So, we definitely have to do another podcast down the road, but I have, I've got some ideas with Sarge and I think that, um, I, I think he's really going to be into it when I, when I, uh, get in touch with him, but we've been texting back and forth since, since the podcast. And, uh, uh if you're wondering, uh, he's safe, everything went well, the family is all good. Uh, they didn't, uh, lose any property. His house is fine. Um, uh, but, um, I said, I'd love to do some, um, uh, do more with you down the road and, you know, coming off the uh, success of that live show we did at StarCast, I did with uh, Jim Johnson. I've really been, the wheels have been turning in my brain about doing more of these live shows. And uh, I would love to do uh, one with Sergeant Slaughter. And I've got some ideas to do it. They would, of course, be themed. It's not just them sitting down with me. We'd have uh, you know, a lot more to that. But that's just something I've really been thinking about. And Sergeant Slaughter, what a great, he is just a trunk full of incredible memories and one thing I love about uh, these podcasts is that if you listen, uh, we are now, can you believe it? This is our 66th episode. And um, if you listen to these guys and you listen to all these different episodes, well, you know, I thought I knew a lot about wrestling before going into this podcast. Uh, now I cannot believe uh, the amount of knowledge that I have uh, been given. It's a gift from all of these guys from listening to their stories uh, where they came from, talking about these territories, understanding more of how the business worked back in the day, how it's developed over the years, because these guys lived it. And, um, you know, that's that to me is it's the, the collection here of this podcast is uh, it's it's history. It's it's the history of the business from so many different perspectives, from family members, from guys that were in the ring, from people that saw it from the outside, uh, people that were behind the curtain. So it, it has just been a, a tremendous experience for me. And uh, Sergeant Slaughter certainly uh, put a nice big exclamation mark on our podcast last week with, with that episode. Uh, with that, as we uh, move on here, uh, we had already 
uh, posted on all of our social media that uh, our guest this week was going to be Tully Blanchard, one of the original, one of the legendary Four Horsemen. And uh, we were all set. We were going to record that episode today. But I am sorry to say with um, Tully's schedule and uh, us trying to uh, get this record done, uh, it didn't happen. Uh, Tully had something come up. Uh, we're going to try and, and get him uh, scheduled soon. But see, that's what's uh, that's the way it works with these podcasts, guys. I try and line up as many people in advance as possible just because of these situations. Uh, I've been trying to do that, but uh, this week we kind of got uh, in a situation where I was really depending on this one happening, and uh, I don't want to go a week without doing a podcast. And uh, we have a couple of other episodes in the vault, but I didn't want to release those because we had promised before uh, that those were going to be you know, put on uh, our our, uh, our YouTube channel. Um, I, I may end up, we still have another episode, but uh, I, I didn't want to do that. And then our, my producer and uh, uh, Casey Dronebeck and also Evan Polisher, who is our uh, social media guy, they suggested, hey, you know, we've never really done an extensive Q&A. Uh, let's put the word out. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Um, and we just got, we got an incredible response. Um, I am really starting to uh, think about, you know, moving forward here, what we're going to be able to do, because I've, I've gotten so many guests. I, like I said, I am relentless. I am relentless trying to uh, line up guests. But remember, uh, guys, they do this for free. Uh, many of them have other lives going on. Uh, many of them do appearances where they get paid. So that's kind of, uh, that's their motivation. So for them to come on and do a podcast, uh, they just have to want to do it. And I've been very successful so far. And there are still many guests I want to get, but I'm really starting to think um, about doing, you know, some of the other ideas that we've been bouncing around uh, here with my team. And uh, that would include, you know, watch alongs with some uh, of these uh, superstars, maybe some I've already had on before. And then also, um, you know, doing other themed uh, podcasts with, you know, people that were around some of these superstars or family members. So uh, really rethinking all this because I, I would love to keep doing this. Uh, I've really enjoyed doing it. But as I said, it gets tougher and tougher to uh, line up these guests. I'm, I'm uh, doing as much as I can. And every time I go somewhere, <laughs> I don't mean to be a pest, but I, you know, hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. Let me get your phone number. So um, still reaching out there. I, I hope to continue to keep bringing more and more great guests. You know, once I get them, it's going to be a tremendous conversation. It's different than anything else uh, that you hear any anywhere else of uh, all the many, many, many uh, wrestling podcasts. But uh, like I said, it's just, it's getting tougher and tougher. And uh, that's, that's disappointing to me, but um, I'll keep after it. And uh, once again, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, we don't have Tully with us. I, I certainly hope we uh, get him uh, in the very near future, and I'll keep after it. But as I mentioned, instead, what we're going to do is I put the word out today that, um, you know, if you had questions for me, because I've never really sat down and just taken all these questions on. I've answered questions before. I've had Casey ask me some, but... Um, we put this out there, and we've got a ton of questions. I'm going to get to as many as I can. And, hey, you know how much I love giving things away, right? You know I love to give away what I've got in my uh, in, in the garage, as you uh, as I like to refer to it sometimes, where I keep all this stuff. It's not an actual garage, but anyway. 
I have a lot of material. And so I was going through, I was just looking through, what can I give away today? And I remember I picked up a bunch of these pictures from friends of mine. Uh, Scott Wilder, who is uh, one of the promoters out there and a, a great guy, uh, had given me a bunch of pictures a while back. They're all signed. And a lot of them are pretty rare. So um, as I mentioned in my, uh, my tweet and on Facebook, I said, the best questions today, I am going to give away a lot of this stuff. Now, not only do I have pictures, I have right here, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, I have uh, a WCW a picture that uh, uh, Fred signed for me, uh, Tugboat, and uh, it's the Shockmaster. Now, how rare, how many of these pictures you think are out there that, that have uh, you know, Fred signing these as the Shockmaster? Okay, so I've got a couple of those. I've got uh, a, a few Coco Bewares. You know, Coco uh, was a really good friend of mine when I was with the WWF, and uh, I really loved the way he worked and, and uh, a guy that really worked his ass off to get where he did in the WWF. Um, got a picture uh, from Danny Davis, and I have another rare one here that he signed as Mr. X. Uh, got other stuff here. I've got uh, Corporal Kirshner, who... Uh, was at one of the shows that uh, that uh, I was at and uh, got a few pictures from him and a beret. I have a, a, cor a Corporal Kirshner signed purple beret, and it's a real deal. I mean, this is this is the real deal, folks. This uh, beret I have, and uh, let's see what else I have in the. Oh, oh, and I've got uh, you know some tugboat uh, sailor hats that are signed. So, and of course. Uh, a few of my pictures, I'm going to give away a few of those, and uh, and that includes um, the one with Donald Trump that I'm going to uh, hand out. And then also I came across this Nikolai Volkov signed picture. I've got a couple of those. So I said, I said in my tweet, I said, bring it, and uh, I know that you guys have. So... What I'm going to do, the way we're going to do this is I'm going to bring on our producer, Casey Dronebeck, who uh, pesters me all the time about, uh, you know, let's do one with Q&A. Let me ask some questions. And so finally, I'm, I'm going to uh, let him do that. And he's going to be the, uh, uh, the ringmaster here and keep track of the ones that I deem as being uh, great questions and who's going to get uh, prizes. And, you know, I'm, I'm good for these guys. You know that. Uh, anybody I've ever told you I'm going to send something, I send it. If I don't send it and you, you get on me and say, Mooney, I didn't get it, I answer you back and say, oh, 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 it's coming, and uh, and I do it. So uh, if you win a prize today, now here's the deal, okay? Uh, if I say that, uh, because a lot of these are just your handles, you know, your Facebook or your Twitter or Instagram, we got some great questions from Instagram, but whatever your handle is, you know, that's what I'm going to go with because a lot of you don't have your names on here. So I will say that whoever it is, and then you need to email me, at primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's primetimemooney at gmail.com. Uh, give me your name, whatever you want it signed to, if, if it's something I'm signing. The other one's the picture I'm just going to send you as is. I'm not going to touch them. Uh, they're already signed. And um, and I'll send them to you. Give me an address. Like I said, give me a name and give me an address, and I will send them to you. Okay? So with that, uh, Casey... Let's have you come on now, and uh, I know you've been very, very, very busy collecting uh, all of these questions. And uh, like I said, we're going to get through as many of these as we can. So uh, let's do it. You there? Oh, yeah. I got about, shoot, 
hundred of them from Facebook, oh, Twitter, Instagram, you name Dude, it. Dude, I wish you wouldn't have said a hundred of them because everybody's <laughs> going to expect me to answer a hundred questions here. Oh, so, you don't have to answer a hundred questions. Don't worry. About okay. But no, but I'm glad. And you know, some of them are kind of out there. I mean, there's <laughs> like what somebody said, oh, I, I sent you, uh, you know, information about my television show, which <laughs> I don't know how that got interpreted to be a question, but we've got some of that stuff in there. But uh, I'm going to, you know, answer as uh, honestly as possible. I hope that my recollection of a lot of these things will come through. But uh, I'll do my best, and I hope you guys enjoy it, okay? So, Casey, fire away. You know, it's, it's funny. I want to say really quick, you talk about that your recollection is halfway decent. It's, is it hard to remember a lot of stuff from back then since it has been 25, 30 years? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> really, and you think about how many events, how many pay-per-view events, how many Saturday nights main <clears throat> events there were, how many... Uh, house shows we did, how you know, going to the garden and and uh, Boston and New York and and uh, traveling around the world, or at least the UK. That's where I I got to do uh, most of my trips. But um, yeah, it a lot of that stuff runs together. I try my best, and you know, people always give Tony Schiavone a grief because you know he doesn't remember anything. But heck, you know, I'm almost sixty, and this stuff you're like you said was thirty years ago. Uh, a lot of it has come back from talking to some of these guys over the years, you know, that, uh, um, you know, this past year, talking to them being and remembering a lot of it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to do my best. So let's go. And I, and I will. One quick thing. I do remember talking to Evan earlier this week and I said, hey, I, it's been 30 years exactly since you got into the WWE. So I'm glad we got to do this. And really mentioned that. Yep. 1988. What kind of was, anniversary. What's that? I don't know. That's some kind of an anniversary. Yeah, I think it was years. either March or May. I can't remember offhand, but yeah, it was 1988. Wow. Yeah, it years was ago. March. Yeah, March of uh, 88. I think is when I because uh, people, you know, uh, these historians and they, they, you know, and they're they're accurate because they'll go by, you know, the first time Sean Mooney appeared for a WWF event. That's true, but I that doesn't necessarily mean I wasn't already employed. You know, it, I, I think I was there for a good month or so before they let me even do anything. Uh, that was seen anywhere. Uh, but uh, yeah, pretty accurate though. 30 years. Wow. I know, right? So kind of uh, jumping off of that, Drums Number 1 asks, who was the one person that really made you feel comfortable when you first started in the WWE? Ooh. Okay, so that's a that's a good question jumping right out of the box here. Let's take down, uh, what was it, you said Drums? Drums. What's the handle on? Drums, drums underscore number one, N-O-1. Right, on Instagram. Drums underscore number one. Yep. All right. You're going to get a picture. You're going to get one of my pictures, okay? I'm going to send you a, one of my pictures. And uh, if, you would, if you'd make a note of that, Casey, yep. uh, I would appreciate it. But that, that's a great question because I've talked about it before. And when I entered the WWF, that was, you know, 1988. And uh, I've talked about it, how it was this collision of two worlds. Vince had realized that in order to make... Uh, his vision come true to in, in order to reach the heights and take his his product where he wanted to take it he couldn't do it with people that came from the world of wrestling not just the world of wrestling i should say and so he started bringing people in from the outside because you know kevin dunn who is uh the one who you know is the genius behind it all with uh, everything that's happened and regardless of what people think about kevin dunn he really is an, an incredible guy i knew him when he was a producer 
and was working in Edit One, as we called it, on Hamilton Avenue in Stanford. And he, I knew it then. I mean, this guy was something special. He just never uh, hesitated, was incredibly creative. And um, anyway, I, I, it was just a, an amazing um, period of time. But getting back to the, the question there, um, you know, it was, it was a, a, a collision. And so it was still very much the kayfabe world. And when you were from the outside, you did not receive a warm welcome. There were a lot of people didn't like what was going on because they didn't like this intrusion that people uh, were coming in that really didn't earn their way in. They didn't understand that these people might bring special talents and, and elevate the product. So it was really tough. And I was somebody who came from that outside world, and I was as green as they come as far as it uh, uh, goes to, well, performing too, but also just to that, that world and how it worked. The roots of, of wrestling are in Carnival, and they go back to the days uh, when they had, it was a code. It was, it was uh, like that. So it took a long time. I, I'd say it was a good year before, and I won't say I was in, but I was accepted and um, we talked a little bit about it last week with Sarge when he mentioned when he first came to the territory and met Alfred and was uh, coming in and uh, taking over for the Destroyer. And um, he said that, uh, you know, Alfred was not very welcoming to him. And that's the way Alfred was always very uh, wary of people that he, you know, didn't know where they came from or who they were about or what they what they did. So he, it was very standoffish that he was that way with me too, initially. And, um, I just kept doing my thing and just trying to learn as much as I could. And slowly, because he was based in Stanford, um, that's where he lived. So he was, um, you know, always around and he saw how hard I was trying, how hard I was working. And little by little, he kind of warmed up to me and, um, realized I had a sense of humor and uh, we just started to become friends. And he really was the first one who, uh, you know, smartened me up to the business and told me about how you're never going to be one of the boys. Don't ever try and be one of the boys. Look around. You see these guys who try and do that. Uh, they don't last and bad things happen to them. And also uh, wisened me up to the fact that ribs were played very often on, on new people and, uh, you know, advised me not to fall asleep on the planes. Um, don't go to hotel rooms for parties. Uh, <laughs> don't don't uh, get too close to these guys. Um, respect them. Respect what they do. And uh, you'll be okay. And don't ever react to things that happen to you. Just kind of take it and just keep moving. And that's exactly what I did. Kept my head down, kept doing what I was doing. And after a while, uh, they didn't speak Carney so much around me. Uh, they, um, you know, asked me about interviews and uh, say, hey, can I work this with you real quick or something? And so uh, he was definitely uh, the first that really made me feel comfortable. And then, of course, and I've talked about it before, was uh, Gorilla, Gorilla Monsoon. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he he uh, was a little bit more open earlier than Alfred was, but you know Gino would come up only you know for to do TV uh, recordings when they would do the matches in the studio and and do stand ups and stuff like that. But I became really really close to him, and it's funny because 
both of them were at my wedding. I got married in uh, uh, 1992, um, my first marriage, and, <laughs> and uh, both of them came to my wedding, and that that was um, that meant oh, so much to me that they were both there. Yeah. So there you go. All right, so we're gonna kind of springboard off of that. Aaron Sheik on Twitter asked, "What was a typical day in the TV studio like?" Wow. Well, um, I was doing the event center. I've explained it many times how it worked, but uh, the short version is we would customize markets, and that was what they did to take the load off the talent. Because prior to that, Gene and uh, Craig Minerverni, uh, who uh, you knew as Craig to George, were um, they would go to these these uh, you know different TV weren't even necessarily TVs. They would do them at house shows if they had to, but they had to customize these, uh, all of these markets by doing these ridiculously long interviews. They would do three minute interviews and they would do a, you know, a few of them that would go on the shows like the event center did. But can you imagine what that took physically? Um, they came up with a brilliant idea and it really was looking back. It was so far ahead of its time as far as, um, being able to promote things on a massive level and, uh, that, that I would be the guy that would bridge everything. And all the guys would have to do is a pretty much generic, um, promo, cut a promo regarding, uh, their, whatever their, their storyline was at the time. And they wouldn't have to say, when I see you at Madison square garden, they would just say, you know, Tito Santana, you wait till I get you in the ring or whatever they were going to say. Mm -hmm. And they could use that same interview for all these different markets. And then I was the bridge. I would do an intro, a bridge. So typically, you know, if it was, uh, you know, ultimate warrior facing Hercules or whatever, uh, you know, I would come in, do an open to it, throw to the ultimate warriors promo, do a bridge to transition from the ultimate warrior to Hercules and then I'd come out and say, and it's Hercules can't wait to, you know, strong arm the ultimate warrior. It's going to happen this Friday night, Madison Square Garden, 730. Don't miss your chance to be there. And I would sign out and I would do three of those for each show mm -hmm. and each market. So there would be 90 so plus markets when we were kind of at our peak. And as I've mentioned before, if one of the guys got hurt, they would have to... <laughs> I'd have to redo whatever markets that guy was in. And you could imagine I was not happy when that red phone rang and Howard Finkel was on the other end to tell me that. So, so that was uh, that would take me usually about four days to complete all those markets. Wow. And then say on Friday or something, usually with something that I was going, some event I was going to go to um, that we taped, uh, had TV tapings uh, that I would go to now and then depending on what was happening. And, uh, you know, then we only had four pay-per-views, so we were building up for those at the time, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was my schedule, but it was rough. I would lose my voice a couple times a year because at some point it just gave out. But uh, I think to this day it, it, it built my pipes, you know. <laughs> I still have that. People can still hear me through cement, and I think that that uh, training was, was a big part of it. How much free reign did you have when you were doing those event centers and you were just pitching to the to the promos i mean did they just say these are where people are going to be go or did they kind of how was it was that written at all no 
No, and and as a matter of fact, uh, we you, you just couldn't. It was just too much material. You know, trying to do that with a teleprompter and what they would do is though the teleprompter or the uh, you know the what we had as I guess you'd call it the teleprompter. We would just put because it's a mirror. It's whatever you're shooting, and it goes up onto this mirror and then in front of the the television lens. And the only thing they would do is they would we would have the entire card. They would do these big long legal sheets. And it would be whatever the card was, and they would shoot that with a camera so it would be up on the uh, camera, mm-hmm. if you know how a teleprompter works. And then at least I could see the card. So when I ran it down, I could look into the camera. I didn't have to keep looking down. I would, as kind of a work, I would look down just to make it look like I was reading off the card, but it was also in front of me. So that's another little inside. And um, another thing I used to do is I would look off camera. It was not. I was nothing. There was nothing to look at. I just I, like I just had watched the interview. So, um, and as and as far as what I said, no, that was entirely up to me. Um, I would just have to know the storylines, and that's when I came up with all the different uh, the different nicknames for the superstars, and um, people loved that. Yeah. And uh, that no, that I, I just would I would just uh, come up with that stuff out of boredom and monotony. Uh, because I just did so many of them, but um, you know, I would I, I that's I had a really good time doing it, and um, that's kind of a, I, maybe I was kind of ahead of the ESPN there. I don't know if they were doing it too then, but yeah. uh, I used to come up with all those nicknames for the guys. And did they did they actually stick? Did those nicknames kind of stick at least backstage? Uh, you or? know, I, I'm trying to think of some that did. I, I know I don't know if that they ended up. There was a few because um, that the the commentators picked up on. But a lot of the times, Alfred and I would use them when we did the international. We would, uh, we would, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't even think of a few offhand. But uh, you know, <laughs> the enthusiastic one or something, you know, whatever it was, like the warrior or you know something like that. But we right. would, we would come up a lot of different names, and I, I had a good time doing it. Okay, so we've got a lot more uh, questions to answer here, and I will certainly get to them, but I've got to take time out to talk about one of my favorite sponsors, ZipRecruiter. And I want to talk to my listeners who are smart business owners, because you know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. But you know what is smart? ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. Uh, It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills. That's important. Education and experience for your specific job and actively then invites them to apply. So that means you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. And it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States. Now, this rating comes from hiring sites at Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. That means that is absolutely true. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, let's get back to it, Casey. Elvis Worf, that's an amazing name, on Facebook asked, who is the most memorable superstar that you have ever interviewed? Would it, would it be wow. Donald Trump? 
a superstar? Is he just <laughs> referring to a wrestler? I don't know. The question asked superstar, but I suppose we should kind of keep it to the wrestlers. Who is the most memorable uh, of the boys, we'll say? The boys, wow. Uh, well, I think that, you know, because I've been around Hulk a lot and did interviews with him, and uh, I think initially I was pretty much in awe of doing those. But I think that when I uh, got to interview Ric Flair, because it was such a buildup, and then getting him to come to the WWF, I think that meant a lot to me because I knew at that time, you know, what he, his, you know, place in uh, the world of professional wrestling and to have him and then to have been able to interview him. And he was great. I, I really enjoyed Rick and, uh, you know, guys that cut great promos. I just, I'd love to work with. So I, I'd say Ric Flair was one I was probably in most of, not, not, not saying anything over Hulk. It's just that I'd been around Hulk. And when I'd first gotten there, everybody was, you know, just kind of uh, amazing to me. Right. But I think after I'd done it a while and had become seasoned, um, I think that uh, that was the, that was a big one for me. I'd always look forward to doing that interview. Did you did you kind of strike up a rapport or friendship kind of thing with Ric Flair? Because well, of that? you know, not really because I didn't see him a lot. You know, okay. uh, but uh, every experience I had with him was a good one, and he was, uh, you know, always great. Um, but uh, I, maybe if I had been around him a lot more, perhaps. But uh, at that time, he was, uh, you know, styling and profiling and living the life, and um, I didn't get to see him a whole lot. And you didn't, you didn't ever get to, as Milla seventy three forty on Twitter asks, you didn't ever get to style and profile with him during your during his run. Do you do you no. have any do you have any interesting stories you heard about Ric Flair at that time? Oh, or? I heard a lot of stories about Ric Flair. So, uh, so he never uh, really, those, you know, you hear those stories about Tony and, and, uh, you know, that was when he was pretty much running that company down South as far as, I mean, Rick could do whatever the hell he wanted. I think he was maybe a little more restrained when he was with the WWF because of he's he, he wanted to be there. He didn't want to get in any trouble. So I think he might've toned it down, but, um, I don't think uh, Ric Flair ever, ever took it down too much. But yeah, uh, yeah he had. Uh, I, I, like I said, I stayed away from a lot of those situations. There were there were some opportunities, <laughs> but uh, I just as far as I was, I was determined to stay employed. And to me, only bad things can happen when you uh, stayed out past midnight, especially with superstars of the WWF. Definitely. <laughs> Adam Walls does on Instagram asks, "Do you have a favorite wrestler then, now, forever? Any? Who was your favorite wrestler back when you were there? Who's your favorite wrestler now?" Oh, uh, I've mentioned this before. I really just had um, a soft spot for Kurt Hennig. I, uh, I I know I've heard other stories that he was kind of a stirrer. He liked to get things, you know, going between the boys and stuff, but that was, you know, that was, uh, it's what they did. But, uh, every experience I ever had with Kurt, I just, he was just such a great guy. There's people that you're around, you know, they, and I'm sure all of you listening, you've had the experience where somebody walks in a room and there's just this energy about them. And that's, that's what it was like with Kurt. And, um, even Sergeant Slaughter mentioned last uh, week when we talked, you know, that, um, you know, when we did those vignettes of the Mr. Perfect, well, they couldn't have chosen somebody who was 
more gifted for that, who was more natural for that. And really, when we did those shoots, I mean, he did stuff where he'd made that 60-foot putt the first time he tried it, um, you know, doing the the basketball shots where he just, you know, he was out by the arc and would throw it you know, over his head, not looking, and the, and the uh, you know, would go in. And, and that's just... That's just kind of the way he was. He had this this uh, aura about him, and he and he did. You know, he he loved to do ribs. He had a great sense of humor, and I think my all time. I think if I really had to choose one, it would be Kurt. He was just uh, a great guy. And when he would uh, come to the studio, he'd always come in, stop in, say, "Hey, what's going on?" and and talk to you. Um, I know people may find it hard to believe, but I really liked Randy Savage, and and. Um, after I got to know him, I had, you know, so there was some really tough times getting there. But uh, once we got to that point, uh, I really, really liked him a lot. And, you know, Bruce Pritchard talks about him, um, the, how close they were. And once you got to know that guy, he really was a, a great guy. I, I, as far as the rest of it with Elizabeth, I wasn't, I didn't really see, wasn't part of that personal life that he had. But I really, I really liked him. I just thought, uh, and and I think I, I don't know if I respected, uh, you know, I'm sure I did respect, of course, did a lot of these people, but guys that did their business and how much, how important it was to them to every time deliver to deliver to the people that paid money. And he would say that, you know, these people came to see me, and I'm going to give them their money's worth. And I, I dare anybody to to tell me that uh, he didn't do that. Um, in every situation, even when he was hurt and remember the time he had the staph infection and he showed up and, and performed and did a tremendous job. And that guy, uh, really, uh, as far as what he did and was able to accomplish, uh, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. Got an inter- interesting question here from Squared Circle Classics. Did you ever want to shoot the Ultimate Warrior with a tranquilizer gun? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but I, but you know to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Did it, yeah. was he was he like the way he was off camera too? I I, um, I mean, did you have to kind of settle him down, or did somebody have to settle him down? What did you think like when he was doing these crazy promos? And I know that if you watch some of these promos where you're involved, you kind of give them your trademark looks or whatever. But what did you think in your head as the warrior is doing one of these promos? Oh, wow. Uh, who asked this question? Because they're getting a picture. Uh, this is That is a great question. Uh, squared <laughs> circle a tranquilizer gun. <laughs> I love it? it. Squared Circle Classics on Instagram. All right, squared circle classics. You know what you're getting. I'm going to give you the Shockmaster uh, picture, uh, WCW uh, picture, um, the Shockmaster signed by the Shockmaster himself. So, um, as I said, email us at primetimemooney at gmail dot com and uh, tell us uh, who I send this to. Okay, so make a note of that one, case. And yep. um, got it. That's great. Uh, boy, uh, Jim Helwig, man. And, and you know, there if there was any superstar who kind of, uh, who, who certainly, you know, uh, I, that was my era, Warrior. Uh, I was there when he got there. I was there through all of the craziness. And um, he is a classic example of, if you've ever seen or heard uh, stories about, you know, people who fame comes to them and and uh, it's like an episode behind the music uh, this guy 
had you know so much going. It happened so quickly, and he just couldn't handle it. And I don't know the science behind steroids. I don't know how they affect your your brain and your mood. And I never did them. So, but it was a crapshoot. You never knew what warrior you were going to get. <laughs> and I did a lot of personal appearances with him. And that's the way it was. There were times where I remember we would show up and he would be signing pictures and never look up at these kids. He would just sign them and piss, you know, just mm -hmm. throw them off. Mm -hmm. Other times he'd be on the other side of that table, hugging the kid up and talking to him. And, and, uh, you know, you just never knew. And it was the same way with these, when he did promos, uh, you know, we've talked about, <laughs> I still to this day, I would, I, I, I you could look at some of those. Uh, promos he's cutting and, and when I'm interviewing him and I'm just kind of looking up with my eyes like what the hell does that mean but there's no question I'll tell you uh, I, I mentioned that you know one of the biggest shocks to my system ever was the first time that um, I uh, first time that I ever you know was in an arena when Hulk Hogan arrived mm -hmm. and the other was when the warrior I, there, there was, and he didn't have to do anything. All you had to do was hit that Jim Johnston music. Dun, 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 dun. When you heard that thumping, mm -hmm. the crowd just erupted and the energy that he brought into those arenas was unbelievable. All he had to do was go run in, he'd get up on the apron there, uh, shake that top rope to the beat of the music, go in there and maybe do a 30 second squash and that was all he needed to do, and he blew the roof off that place. Yeah. What to me is sad and what's so unfortunate is that I think about what he might have been able to accomplish if all this, all the crap didn't get in the way, the money and the demands and, the, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, anybody, who knows how you would handle that? Mm -hmm. If you're throwing all of this fame and, you're, and, and all this great fortune and all of this you know, all this coming at you and everybody wants a piece and you are world famous, uh, how you would deal with it. And so, you know, it's, it's a damn shame. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, he was able to mend those walls. Um, not even fences, there were walls mm -hmm. and was, uh, you know, inducted into the WWE hall of fame. It's tragic how it, um, his life ended because, uh, it's a family and, and he wasn't very old at all. And, uh, you know, but I think, God, because like I said, he was my, that was my era there. He was, I saw it all. And it's, it's a damn shame because yeah. I think he could have, uh, not that he wasn't one of them, but he certainly could have been among, you know, the top five in the business all time. Was there ever a time when you kind of, you, you said, no, I won't do this with Warrior? Um, you know, no, absolutely not. There okay. was never a point where, no, I mean you had to be a professional, and you made it work. And the, and and it wasn't it wasn't ever to a point where he was a complete dick, you know. Like I'm not doing, you know, or just being very. He could be difficult, but he still did his job. Right. And I could work with anybody. I mean, to me, it's okay. Whatever you want to do, it's your performance. I, I can hold the mic. I'll do what I'm supposed to do, and it's up to you. And there were times that 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 happened, but uh, no, there was never. I and that was the case with 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 every single person there. I don't ever remember a case. Um, I remember being real pissed, 
right. uh, spe- specifically as uh, with the with Randy, and I've talked about that mm-hmm. when uh, we had that uh, little showdown. But um, no, I mean that was my job. Okay, so you know I love uh, talking about wrestling, but we have to take a little time out because I know a lot of the people that listen to my podcast also love football, and many of them love fantasy football. If you play fantasy football, make sure you stay ahead of the curve with a new podcast called Fantasy Foresight. Hosts Jay and Ben focus 100% on fantasy football. These guys know everything, and they share their total foresight with private metrics and projections to help you win your fantasy football league. You need these guys. If you play fantasy football, whether you're a savvy vet or this is your rookie season, you cannot afford to miss their podcast. Again, it's called Fantasy Foresight, and you can find it on iTunes. That's Fantasy Foresight, the podcast. All right, so Chris Gallant on Facebook asks, if Hulkamania had not been running wild during your time at the WWF, who else do you think could have carried the banner for the company? Are there any wrestlers you feel weren't able to reach their potential as top guys because Hogan was in that spot? That's a really interesting question because people like to like to shit on Hogan because he he used creative control and whatever politics to stay mm. on top. But say he wasn't there. Say that gimmick wasn't there. Who do you think would be on top? Oh, boy. Uh, well, you know, you could say what you want, folks. I mean, but if you know the business, uh, whatever politicking you do or whatever, uh, there there are things you can't stop. Uh, Hulkamania was a movement, really. I mean, it was, you know, the, nothing was going to stop that. So uh, Hulk Hogan politicking and whatever you might think is not why he w- carried that company. Uh, it was because of Hulk Hogan. And I don't know who else could have possibly done that. I, you think back. I mean, can you name anybody, Casey, who is uh, that would even be close to that? Randy, uh, Randy. certainly did, but he, he wasn't ready that at that point. If, if we're talking in like the early 80s, 83, 84, when, when Hulkamania really started running wild, no, I can't really think of anybody. I mean, think about, you know, who was there, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's, let's say, I mean... I mean, you're talking early, early on. Um, you know, there's really nobody. Bob Backlund. I mean, yeah. he was. Uh, you, you think about, uh, you know, superstar Billy Graham or somebody like that. No, it's just there was not that. That was that changed wrestling forever. If you if you remember that time, and we're saying you know early '80s, '85. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was. Who else was there? Yeah, that was that Hulk came out of nowhere and just uh, as far as, you know, taking the world by storm uh, with the Rocky movie and then everything just taking off from that point. But who do you who before then was really incredibly mainstream? I, I mean, I lived in New York City at the time and I remember the whole MTV connection and all that going on. And it was the talk. Everybody you talk about uh, water cooler. You know, everybody talked about what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine. I, you know, people. I'd love to hear what people, you know, their argument for that. That there, there could have been someone else. And what happened was, is that, um, you know, Terry took that the business to where it did. The, the just incredible heights, never, ever, ever, ever reached before. And there was that few years there that there was nobody else. But then that's when Vince realized 
this Hulkamania is not going to last forever. We are going to, at some point, need uh, other superstars to step forward. And that's when you saw the emergence of people like Randy Savage, you know, and some of these other people that, um, you know, stepped up and became very popular. And it wasn't just Hulkamania. There was uh, the WWF had more than just that. What what weight do you give to Terry Bollea being Hulk Hogan, making it successful? I mean, if you put somebody else in that gimmick, would it have been as successful? No, okay. there, there's no. There, who else? I'm just saying that, as I said, who could have possibly done that? Okay. And and uh, it it was just it was just the uh, he was a phenom. It, there's no there's no one else that could have done it. I, I you know the, he was a monster. He was uh, this you know tan you know tan god the blonde hair and just the whole look uh so i do yeah i give him a lot of credit i remember watching on the wwe network whatever they had this you know top 50 wrestlers and i think Mm -hmm. hulk was 20 something of course he wasn't wasn't in the best graces at the time when they put that out Mm -hmm. but come on i mean are you kidding me if you can't you can't put him in their top five of all time how then you're just lying you're not you're not being truthful here because um he 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 changed the business forever and uh that's that's what launched the wwf they they probably would have been you know you you probably still see without hulk you you would probably still see the, uh, the wcw and even some of these other territories still still very much alive and then competing with each other if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan. Yeah. He helped Vince McMahon bury every one of them. Yeah. Kind of spin off of that. Uh, um, you were, you mentioned the list that WWE did a few years ago where they put Hulk Hogan at whatever you said, 25 or yeah. 30. I can't, no, it wasn't, it was, it was 20 something in there. Maybe I, I, I can't remember what exactly. What is, Somebody will know it out there, but right. what's, I was like, what? What? Are you, well, what? What's your opinion on that and like the DVD that they put out burying the Ultimate Warrior and things like that? What's your opinion on the WWE kind of burying these guys because they're not friends anymore or whatever? Well, that's gone on forever. Okay. You know, that's what promoters do. You you don't do good business with them, they're going to hurt you. Um so yeah, they're, the WWE is no different and um yeah, when you're on the outs but, you know, how many, what is so amazing to me is that, you know, uh, they would say, that's it, never, oh, it's so heinous what this guy did. Yep. I mean, Jesse Ventura sued Vince over merchandise stuff and won, and, and so did Sarge, and, all, you know, all these guys did terrible, terrible things, and uh, when it all came down to it, it was business. Yeah, It was all business, and yep. Vince realizes that. I mean, Vince knows, okay, I may not personally agree or but I'm not, you know, what that person did was really, really wrong, but this guy might make me some money. And also, I think he liked the idea when he had these guys working for him, they were working for him. And there's some power, there's something about that yeah. that he really enjoys. He's controlling their lives in a sense. So, yeah, that's the way it works. He has people like Hulk Hogan under his fingertips almost. Well, yeah, in, a he's, in a way, he's controlling his, their lives, and and the ones there are, there's points where they've had more leverage, shall we say? Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, 
uh, as that uh, as the song goes, uh, Jim Johnson wrote, uh, "No chance in hell." Eventually, <laughs> Vince McMahon wins. Yeah, exactly. All right, real David Wilk on Twitter asks, and this is an interesting one. I had never heard this in WWF magazine. You were featured as a stuntman in either a show or a movie. What was it? That is a great question. What are we going to give away? What should we give away for this question? That is a great one. Let's see. I'm interested to hear about this because I have never heard of it before. Mm. You know what? Maybe uh, I'm. Maybe we should give away one of the Donald Trump pictures. What do you think of that? Okay. That sound good? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Who is it that asked this question? Uh, Real David Wilk on Twitter. Real David Wilk. What a great question. Well, that uh, and the reason it is a great question is because if you recall, um, Vince wanted to branch out and he got into the whole bodybuilding thing the wbf mm-hmm. okay so one of the the visions of this it was the ultimate uh, idea was to sell supplements that's how that's how the bodybuilders make money that's how um weeder made all of his millions it wasn't because of the contest it wasn't because of the magazine it was they sold supplements and that's what it all came down with this Vince was going to change the bodybuilding industry. He was going to uh, get these bodybuilders. He paid a lot of money for them, and he was going to – they all were going to have gimmicks. That was what was going to change it. Mm -hmm. We know what a disaster that turned out to be. But part of this was a show called Body Stars. And I think the best way to describe it was uh, like workouts of the rich and famous. How do they stay in shape, uh, kind of a celebrity thing. And um, so – I was given the opportunity to shoot some features for this this uh, um, this show, and I the co-host I think was Tawny Katane, or I think that's her name, yeah. and Vince really liked her, and I remember, and this is another uh, fun fact that people don't know about, maybe you do, but they shot a pilot when they f- shot the pilot for this show, they spent a ton of money. They went down to Florida, and they were on the beach to shoot this pilot. And Matt Lauer was brought in. This is before he got his gig at um, uh, in New York for the uh, the NBC uh, news station there. That's where he first went. But before he did that, I mean, he was he was looking for work. He had worked for HBO before that, and so they brought him in as a possible co-host with uh, Tawny. Okay. And uh, I hope I'm right on this with Body Stars. I think she was the co-host. But anyway, they went down to Florida and they shot this pilot. And Vince did not like Lauer. <laughs> he didn't like. He did, he did not like the pilot. Uh, and thank God, and um, because for him, but it didn't turn out so well. But I think he's he's going to be fine. I think his bank account is fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, so. Vince, you know, as with anything else, said, well, there's no one else who can host the show better than me, so I'm going to host it. So Vince was the host of the show. Anyway, circling back to the answer to this question, I got to go shoot some of these features. And, and it was, God, it was a blast. The stuff I wanted to do, uh, I never gotten the opportunity. I went and I uh, jumped out of an airplane. I don't know what this had to do with <laughs> working out. with, But I, I, I got to jump out of an airplane. I did this whole bit on uh, on that. And uh, one of them, I lived out in, in uh, my family. I'd grown up out in Tucson, Arizona, and they have a, a place out here called Old Tucson. And I was going to be out here for a vacation, 
And the producer of the show said, don't they, they have, uh, you know, that old Tucson and they, they used to shoot, they shot a lot of Westerns out here when I was growing up, but, um, they had a, a stuntman school there, you know, like old Western stuntman. And he said, uh, I set it up that you can go, I'm going to go have you go shoot this, this, uh, the story while you're out there. And I went out there and worked with the stuntman, these uh, cowboy, you know, Western stuntmen where you get to fall off buildings and have uh, barroom fights, and I had a freaking blast. Yeah. It was so much fun. I fell off a building. I got to be in a barroom brawl where they you know, taught me how to take punches. They had me up in the bar and had me, you know, slid me all the way down and then mm-hmm. threw me through a window. And uh, that's where they those pictures showed up in, um, in, the, in the WWF magazine. Okay. That, I had a blast. That's... Um, that's a, a little-known fact. And also, I did a boxing show with um, a Boom Boom Mancini. And so that's another story. But nobody asked that question, so we're going to move on. Okay. So uh, from Devin Miller on Facebook, if you made the transition to manager, who are a couple of wrestlers oh. you would want to manage? Yeah, wow. You would, you would uh, be an amazing era? manager. I'll say that. Huh? You'd be an amazing manager. Oh, I would have. Awesome. <laughs> I just wonder what my gimmick would have been. I would have come up with a good gimmick. That, mm. that, hey, that's that's where you could have used Ian Mooney. Yeah, oh, well, I'm sure we'll get into that. But, uh, <laughs> man, from my era, um, God, let me see who I would have loved. I would have loved to have been uh, Demolition's manager. Okay, why? Mr. Fuji had it down. Because they were just so – I loved their, their intensity and, uh, you know, the whole just kill people. Uh, probably, um, let's see, who else would have been fun? Uh, I tell you, it, it wasn't my era, but I would have loved to work with uh, D-Generation X. Really? Those guys got, oh, my. Those guys got to do every, you know, whatever they wanted, and they were just, at that time, they were so cool. So Knowing I, I you as I do, two. that makes me laugh so much. But yeah, that's just interesting. Just so I could do the suck it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about today? Like, who, who grabs you today that you'd like to manage that's around right now. Does it have to be the WWE? No, anybody that's around. No, I don't know. Let's see. That's a good question. Um, I think Braun Strowman would be cool to hang to hang out with him. Really? Yeah, I think uh, I love his gimmick. I think I think actually that's a good idea because then you could yeah. be the the Harvey Whippleman type guy. Yeah, well, you know? something like that. But uh, yeah, so there there you go. That's uh, probably. But uh, I would, I think, hanging around Demolition Axis Smash because I just, uh, yeah, or or uh, uh, God, Legion of Doom. Oh God, I loved Hawk. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what a rush! I know, right? But, All right, uh, yeah. Lenny Bakken on Twitter. Uh, and I, I know we talked about this, I believe, in the last Q&A, but uh, recollections of the Nails McMahon incident in 1992, and he says Kevin Kelly would be a great podcast guest. And I think yeah, he tried to reach to out to him. him down. He, he would be a great guest. Wow. Um, I think some people have tried. I, I sent me something to, I don't know if it was an email address, but I never got anything back, so I don't even know if it was the right one, or he just said, who? Oh. <laughs> um, so, but, Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that uh, that uh, when that happened, and um, you know, Nails is a very intense guy, um, you know, uh, and you know, not many people would go to those lengths, you know. But he was one of the, he was a guy that just you know uh, anybody crossed him, he he 
got even, or he tried to anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that whole thing from the way it went down, you know, that I think from that point on, you know, uh, Vince was would never be in a room alone with with uh, one of the boys because uh, that guy was apparently like strangling him. I mean, like, I don't know how it would have ended up. Maybe he would have murdered him. I don't know, but yeah, that was that was really ugly. But um, I'd love to hear the whole story because, like I said, it was all hearsay. I mean, as far as what really happened, mm-hmm. I, I would love to talk to him to find out what what uh, happened. And he, because he wasn't really there that long, and I, you know, I thought the gimmick was was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I love the orange jumpsuit and the the whole thing. And he probably could have done a lot with it. And of course, you had so many different angles you could have gone with that. And of course, with the big boss man and everything else. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that. I remember that. That was just crazy. Because, you know, I'd never heard of anybody prior to that ever touching Vince. Yeah. So. Were you and the guys and everybody, were you surprised that that happened? I mean, did you, were you surprised that he did that? I mean, was he the kind of person that you thought he's going to strangle his boss? Was capable? Hell yeah. Okay. I mean, I think you (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, he kind of had a reputation that he didn't take, uh, you know, didn't take crap really from anybody. And uh, it was he capable? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I don't think anybody was shocked. Larry Helfrick, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, on Facebook asks, who's one wrestler that was let go that Vince regretted that you know of? Wow. I don't think he would ever admit to that. I mean, maybe um, – you know, I I was I, I I was thinking about that actually um, a few weeks ago because somebody asked me about that whole exodus with WCW, mm-hmm. and I think there were a lot of guys that he regretted uh, losing uh, who went down south during that period of time. You know, in the in the um, you know after '93 and and um, that whole time, but the the. The company was in trouble. There was uh, financially, it was uh, business was not going well. Of course, all that other crap was going on with the steroid trial and and um, everything else. And um, these guys were off. They were, you know, they were offering ridiculous amounts of money. He he couldn't even. I, I think even if the company was healthy, he would have agreed to, you know, some of these contracts these guys were getting it was just insane. I mean, you know, guys that uh, were probably making a couple hundred thousand were being offered, you know, 750. I mean, just mm-hmm. crazy money. So I think that there were a lot of the guys that went south that um, he re- really regretted losing, having them go because he needed them. But there was no way he could stop them. And I think, um, I, I, you know, you talk to people like Hacksaw. Hacksaw was down there, and and so, and he said that it, it, the money, yeah, absolutely, the schedule was better. But I think every one of them, and I shouldn't even say that, but there, I think a lot of them uh, regretted the the what they think their careers might have been like if they had stuck around. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's speculation, but I just think that. It was it was a, a period of time in the in the history of the professional wrestling that needed to happen because it, it you know by the time uh, you know the the century ended it was uh, the it was an entirely new world and and it was it was good for wrestling it, it uh, woke the WWE up that uh, they really had to compete mm-hmm. and um, but I think you know wrestlers that he let go I I don't know I mean I couldn't really name one in particular 
I just think I know during that period of time, um, it was really difficult. And it was, I'm sure there are points that I didn't know if they were going to be boarding up the windows. I remember just before I left, they were, you know, one time I went to the, at the facility and they had taken the water cooler out. I was like, wow, that's, uh, things are, (laughs) things are getting tough now. Yeah. All right, Trash Heap Herm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, on Instagram says, I'm wondering if the Lordship ever mentioned any anecdotes about calling the main event between Hogan and Bundy at WrestleMania 2, where he worked alongside Jesse the Body Ventura and Elvira. Yeah, you're referring, and am I correct? Is this the, when they had the three locations? That's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, what a, a, you know, they only did that once, and there's a, a real good reason for that. It's tough enough to put one of those events on. Imagine putting three of, and they were all pretty much just because, you know, they were, uh, maybe there weren't, you know, 60, 50,000, whatever plus people at these venues. That, that was just like doing three WrestleManias mm-hmm. and then coordinating going between all of them and doing, you know, that was just crazy. But I know that Alfred was thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be a part of it and then be calling, you know, these, those big matches. And, um, and, and Alfred, that was one of his loves. He'd love to do play by play. Um, I, I wish he would have had more of an opportunity. I think that he really did add a lot to, you know, a lot of these matches, but for whatever reason, Vince didn't see him there. So, uh, but I know that he was, he was absolutely thrilled with that. And we talked about, um, you know, getting those opportunities and, and, uh, you know, being a part of WrestleMania and, and having your voice, uh, cemented with that is, uh, was like a huge, uh, accomplishment for him in his career. Mm-hmm. All right. Mathalete on Instagram says, what is your favorite moment that you have had in the business? Favorite moment? Yes. Wow. That you have mm-hmm. had. Hmm. I know well, you. I know you talked about all in and all that, but what about what about back in the day? Um, yeah. Geez, that's a tough question because there's so many. Yeah. There's so many of them. Um, geez. Man, that is a tough one. Uh, there's there's many that stand out to me. Um, my first WrestleMania in Atlantic City, where I was, you know, you look at this picture. I'm looking at this picture with Donald Trump. And that was one of the worst interviews I ever did in my life. If anybody has ever seen it live, I'm like stumbling all over the place, mispronounce his name. But just being there at that event was, for me, you know, this kid from uh, out in Arizona and uh, being a part of that. And here I'm talking to Donald Trump. And uh, that was a huge moment for me, uh, just being on that floor and being a part of that event. Um, as things went on, I mean, that trip to Wembley Stadium and the 92 SummerSlam, and I, I, I bet that question comes up, but uh, that was certainly a, a tremendous experience mm-hmm. to have been a part of that. And, um, you know, and, and doing, uh, you know, interviews in some of these, these venues uh, in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people was uh, – a rush. I mean, there's no question about that. When when I uh, got to do those, right. uh, I remember one we did over in England with the Bushwhackers, and I've talked about how, you know, Luke kept goosing me as we were talking, and uh, right as the light came on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there, there's just like so many moments. I remember, you know, traveling over to England, 
with uh, with Alfred was was a huge uh, traveling over there with with Alfred to uh, you know London, mm-hmm. and uh, we we went around. Uh, Kevin Granith was our producer. We shot all these things for Coliseum Video, and I remember we did a you know it was for one of the tapes we did, and we went to you know Big Ben and shot all these stand ups. And then we went to a pub and we had, you know, Sherlock Holmes outfits on and everybody there knew who we were. And they just, it was a big party and they just, uh, you know, hosted us. <laughs> Is that the word I should use? Yeah. Uh, yeah. To the wee hours and uh, drinking uh, Guinness and uh, and just spending that time with Alfred there and having him show me um, England was, was uh, certainly one of the, the greatest times. That was one of the greatest trips ever. And now something I'm curious about, the the Trump interview itself, how did that come about to where you did the interview? Did did like Vince or somebody come up to you and say, you're going to interview Donald Trump down on ringside? Well, when we used to do the production meetings, everybody would go. I don't know. I don't think that's the case these days. But everybody, they would, we'd go into these, it would be a ballroom and there'd be tables, big giant. And everybody involved in the production would be in there. And they would hand out, you know, they had certain, some people had uh, different directions or whatever, but we would get one as a talent. It would tell us what we were doing. And I remember sitting in that production meeting and going down the list and, uh, you know, Bushwhackers on the floor or whatever. And then Sean Mooney interviews Trump, Donald, you know, Trump on the, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? And, and I, I look at this picture and man, I, I, I look like I'm 12. For one thing, but then I had this earpiece that is just mm-hmm. <laughs> like a megaphone in my ear, and the wires all over the place because I'm a wreck. But uh, that was that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool, and and from and I got better. So. Yeah, he did. Donald didn't rag on you afterwards. Yeah, but they no, but they the, they that's how they passed him out. Gene was probably doing backstage stuff, and then I was out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, all right. That's how it worked. Uh, Chris the Brain, 1974, on uh, Instagram says, "Do you remember the time Lord Alfred Hayes made up nonsensical lyrics to the Bushwhackers theme and sang it on primetime wrestling while you two were doing commentary?" Yeah, but he did that all the time, where he would do that just to try and crack me. And if you li- listen to this, like I would be, you know, Alfred, you know, or, or something like that. <laughs> but yes, I do. And uh, and, and I, that was pretty much off the cuff. Uh, you know, he was just messing around. And, you know, keep in mind that we would, um, we recorded those. We weren't at the arenas, so we could, we would, we recorded them at Hamilton. They had the studios there, and they would play the tapes, and we'd watch it on monitors, and we would do the play-by-play. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a lot more freedom. There wasn't anybody in our ear. And so I think if that's, you know, you captured some of the moments that we had, and we had a blast. That was one thing that was really cool about the fact when they started expanding into the UK was that uh, before that, they they left us alone. Before it got big, they left us alone. When we did all the Coliseum videos or talked about that, they left Alfred and I alone. They didn't know what we were up to. <laughs> <laughs> I think one day they showed Vince and uh, things stopped. But because we... But I think that was, you know, was some of the best stuff we ever did because we didn't have anybody telling us. And Kevin Granith who was our producer, thought we were funny and let us do a lot of things. So uh, that's why that's where it got crazy. I remember I did one, well, I don't know if you've got a Coliseum video question, but you know, I did Rod Serling for one of them. 
really bad Rod Serling, almost as bad as my uh, William Shatner. So, oh. but we just yeah, that was we Alfred and I. It was a playland for us. Yeah, because it was so there were still there were, so many things were so uh, new to the WWF at the time, and they had so many other things to worry about than us two knuckleheads over at the <laughs> television studio. All right, Brian Vermeyer, and again, I apologize for butchering names, on Facebook says, everyone talks about how great Vince is to work for. Do you have stories of times when it was unpleasant? He says, not bad or anything, just uncomfortable. Oh, man. God. Yes, <clears throat> several. Okay. Uh, the one that always stands out to me was, and I've told this story before, is when um, I was doing the Macho Man interview, and uh, this is when he... Uh, he lost his the title or got it. This is just one of the things, Casey, I'm trying to remember the exact whatever that interview was. But mm-hmm. Randy was, you know, Vince said, let him go. Let him go, and then I'll tell you when to rap. And he goes on, and he's broken, and he ends up, he's kneeling, and he's pulling on my arm. And I look over at Vince, and Vince has got his arms wrapped around himself. He's got, you know, like he's hugging himself. And I'm like, what the hell is he trying to tell me? And it was a live interview, so I couldn't say, "Whoa, whoa, can we do this?" What you know? So I'm trying to figure out. Does he want me to put my arm around him, hug him? What does this mean, or whatever? So finally, uh, I just he's, Randy stops talking. I wrap it up, whatever, and then Vince goes off on me in front of everybody. What the hell? Why did you let that go so long? I kept telling you to rap, and I said. How? When were you telling me to rap? <laughs> this is the only time I really had, you know, words right in front of everybody. And he said, "I was, do- I was doing this." He was. And he shows me the him hugging his arms again. I said, "Vince, I have been working here for a long time. I worked doing television before that. I have never in my life seen that as a signal to rap." And I did, you know, like the <laughs> finger, this, and I did the finger across the throat. Mm-hmm. I said that I know, but hugging. <laughs> don't know. And so after that, and, and I was so pissed. I, I, and, and I, I, I like, like if he fired me, then I wouldn't have cared. I was so pissed off. And I remember like, I was, I was out in the arena afterwards and Vince was walking by and I death, I death glared him like just, wow. and he looks at me and we're like, look, staring at each other. And, and it was, <laughs> I don't know why he didn't say, what the hell are you looking at? You got a problem with me? Or whatever? No, but he's just like glaring. And, and, and then he kind of like softened his face like, okay. Well, I, like, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I was daggers. I, I, you know, I was so mad. Uh, that was certainly one of them. But there wasn't too many. You know, there wasn't, you know, uh, people think of him as just being this, you know, really intense. All, and, and I'm sure there's certainly moments like that. But for the most part, man, he was really good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where he uh, took care of me, and uh, early on there, until yeah. I really got going, that uh, he didn't uh, lash into me or tell me, you know, get your act together or anything. It was never. He really was patient with me. So, but there were definitely a few. There were some definitely uh, tense moments. Do you have any stories about when he was doing commentary and you were out doing interviews, like the first few Raws or? Uh, different TV shows or whatever. Do you have any stories about him doing anything then? I mean, as far as, well, when he was doing commentary, then he couldn't sit there and talk in everybody's ear. It was when he stopped doing commentary that, that okay. <laughs> it became a problem for everybody. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that's, that I, I, you know, that's, to me, that would be a nightmare. If he would be, have been able to talk to me while I was doing interviews, I would have, oh man, I would have been a wreck. 
But think- uh, back then, you know, we just we went, we just did them, and uh, rarely did we ever do an interview twice or, or do a cut a promo more than once. I mean, it was especially on those you know Saturday nights main event, or they were pretty tight. And I don't ever remember really having to do a lot of uh, a lot of those. You know, as far as his commentary, I never, I always thought his commentary was just so over the top. <laughs> and uh, I thought it worked with Jesse, but he's driving me crazy. I, I, I would think, like, how can he keep talking? I mean, how can you go for that long saying, <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Oh, he's gone. It's just, <laughs> you know, like, how do you talk that long with that intensity? Right. But, uh, you know. I thought it worked with him and Jesse, so uh, I thought that they were a great team. But uh, other than that, I was kind of glad when he stepped off the mic. <laughs> Champ X five two nine one six, what a username on Instagram says. What did the model Rick Martel's arrogance smell like? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I it, it was it it didn't really smell like anything. I mean, that pretty much was water in that thing. Okay. Uh, because he would spray it in people's eyes. They weren't going to put cologne in there. So, um, but he would load up pretty good on cologne. I don't know what the hell it was, but uh, what a great gimmick that was. Yeah. And he sold it too. Martel. Martel is another one of those guys I think was kind of an unsung a superstar. Uh, he certainly found success there, but he was a really, really talented uh, performer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of those i mean if we get a question about you know that i thought could have gone further or should have done more mm-hmm. martel was he was really good and uh i mean he was great in his promos and whatever they threw at him uh he he made it work but uh he had it all i mean really in a great look great look too why do you think he didn't go any farther in the wwf than he did why didn't he ever really get a shot at the top well, you know, uh, sometimes they just can't make it work. They don't find the right, right uh, gimmick for them, or that you know, or they just don't sell it. Or you know, I, that's one of the most difficult things to explain, because you could you could come up with these uh, you know iconic gimmicks that, that that have lasted. The Undertaker, for example, they might have given that to somebody else other than Mark Calloway, and it would have died. <laughs> Undertaker yeah. would have died. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just really, it's just a matter of what, you know, how it fits that person and how they, um, you know, if they can become it, I think is what it comes down to it. And some of the stuff just doesn't work, uh, for whatever reason that, and I, I, you know, I don't, a lot, nobody can really explain that. Why is one gimmick work? That's completely, if somebody told it to you, you'd say, that's so stupid. And then, but when you see what it, what it became, mm-hmm. uh, you hell that's that's the greatest gimmick ever uh you know somebody uh given the you know for example mr perfect and the narcissist okay right pretty much the same thing i mean the idea behind it it didn't work for lex right but who could you think of anybody else who could be mr perfect not anymore <laughs> but nobody it, it was it worked it was him he, he was the, he was mr perfect right Travis Peters on Facebook asks, what's your favorite Coliseum home video that you hosted? <laughs> wow. Well, uh, that one that went in, in England was certainly got to be right there. I mean, that was that was fantastic. God, we had a, a great time. Anytime we could do stuff on location, uh, we had a blast. Uh, we made a lot of stuff work. You know, they, they did some pretty fun stuff with, um, you know, green screen and that kind of thing. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But anytime we got to go out and do uh, something on location, I, I loved it. And even I remember we did one, and I don't even know what tape it was, where we went out and we're in, in a, I don't know if it was Andre's van or something. We have to get it somewhere, and it breaks down, and Alfred's under the car and trying to fix it, and I drop a wrench on his head. And, uh, yeah, we, we just had a, a blast. And, and uh, like I said, they left us alone until they really discovered what we were up to. We just kept pumping these things out. <laughs> and we're pretty much given free reign. Of what, hey, what, what do you want to do with this? All right, let's do this. It'll be, you know. Sure. So, yeah, those. Uh, but I'd say the one, one we went to England was by far the best. At Mrod717 on Twitter asks, what's the biggest mis- misconception people have about the industry or your work in the industry? Wow. Um, misconception. Mm. Well, uh, I guess, I don't know if they're talking about me personally. I, or think, I think they're... My profession as an announcer. I, you know. I think it's generally plus what you did. Yeah. your job well i think one one misconception is is that you know as an announcer you can do everything and uh that's not true um you know gene okerland for example gene did play by play that was when he before he came uh uh he did did do play by play he had i know he did some for the the wwf wwe but that wasn't gene's gift i mean gene's gift was his interaction with the boys with with uh, the backstage interview, there's nobody else in the world uh, from all of them. I I personally think, but I'm I'm of course biased. Mm-hmm. But he was a master. He's a master at it, you know. And um, there's some people that are great play by play. You put them backstage, they they're not good. I mean, they don't interact well with, with talking, you know, going back and forth with the boys. You put them in and have them call a match, and they're great. So I think that uh, there's a misconception sometimes that you're an announcer. Well, you're supposed to be good at everything, or that's just part of what you're doing. And that's not the case. Um, for me, I think, you know, like personally, if there was a misconception, um, uh, God, uh, that I don't know, that uh, I didn't do enough or I was kind of behind, the, the you know, uh, and then I didn't think that was the case at all. I mean, I I got so many great opportunities, and there was never a question to me who was the lead announcer as far as what we did? Gene was the guy. Mm-hmm. And I was very happy to uh, be there and whatever else they wanted me to do. I mean, people asked me before, you know, did you, uh, did you mind that, you know, Gene always got Hulk or no, I, I, are you kidding me? I mean, how many people would have loved to have been in the position I was in? And I, I never forgot that. I never got an attitude about it or thought, oh, geez, you know, I'm stuck here in the event center. Mm-hmm. That's what kept me employed. It's just that after a while, it just, it was just, you know, the monotony of it. Re- it start really got to me, and I wanted to do other things. But uh, you know, was a misconception of whether or not you know I was happy uh, with what I did or, or I didn't get to do enough. No, that was not the case at all. Never, ever, ever. Did I feel that way? I, I got, I got to do so many different things. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Toth on Twitter asks, "What wrestler that's passed away would be your all-time favorite guest to interview on primetime?" Well, um, boy, I would have loved to have interviewed Dino Bravo. Um, he was he was such an interesting guy, 
And I even knew back then something is going on with him. He was always so nervous, so stressed out. Uh, and I don't know if it was, you know, the being a, a superstar and trying to stay on top and do all these things can be stressful. Uh, he was always like chewing his fingernails. And I don't know if it was from what, you know, he had going on back home. I don't know. Mm. But, uh, and, and I really liked Dino. He was, uh, he was a great guy too. Very nice guy. Uh, all the time I ever I had any dealings with him. Um, I would have loved to have interviewed him. Uh, I would love to have interviewed Jim Helwig. I mean, I, God, uh, uh, from the, you know, uh, later in life and, and have gotten his perspective on everything that happened that he lived through and what he learned from it. Um, you know, that certainly would have been great. I would love to have interviewed, uh, Kurt on this podcast, mm-hmm. Kurt Hennig, because, um, you know, he has such a story to tell, not only from what he experienced, but, you know, he comes from a wrestling family, uh, Owen Hart, God, uh, I, I love that kid. I, he was just, uh, you know, a, a great, great wrestler, but a, a really, really good guy and one of the funniest people around. I mean, he he did, you know, you always hear about his legendary ribs, but they were, they were kind-hearted in a lot of ways. They were just funny. They were mm-hmm. genuinely funny. It wasn't, he didn't do stuff that was cruel or to really hurt people that I ever witnessed. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, yeah, that's that's a few. Uh, Rye Joseph Blanchett on Facebook asks, did you ever consider a jump to WCW in the late 80s, early 90s? You were like a part of my family since my childhood, watching you every weekend on Superstars and Challenge. Wow, I think that deserves a picture. Okay. Take down, who is it? Who's? Rye Joseph Blanchett. Right, Joseph Blanchett. All right, that was on Facebook. All right, Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll send him one of mine. Okay. So, uh, right, Joseph Blanchett. Be sure and email us at primetimemooney at gmail dot com, and I will send that picture to you. Um. Anyway, what was the question? (laughs) Um, Did you ever? Did you ever think about jumping to WCW? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, you know, people, a lot of people talk to me about that. They've asked me that over the years. And uh, no, no. Uh, when I left in 93, I just had other plans. I'd gotten uh, some other opportunities. And uh, I just wanted to try something different. I was, you know, if somebody asked what my regrets were, probably leaving. But at the time, you know, I was young and thought I, uh, you know, this was going to be a better path for me. Um, so... You know, I don't know. That was uh, that's pretty much the the way it is. But um, you know, uh, I I never thought about going down south. And I remember when I went to tell Vince I was leaving, my contract was was running out. And I said I'll stay to the end of my contract. And he said, "You're going south, aren't you?" And I said, "You know, you're going to WCW." And I said, "No." He goes, "No, it's okay. I mean, you can tell me. A lot of people, this is their better opportunity." I said, "Vince, if I'm going to work in professional wrestling." I'm going to work for you. There's nobody else I would want to work for. This is it. And um, I know uh, Bischoff never called me. They didn't pursue me. I remember I, I think I had one conversation with Tony, but Tony and I were friends at the time. Uh, and I, I uh, don't remember if he called me or I called him, but um, he said, would you be interested in coming down here? And I said, no, I've got, you know, I've got other things going on. And that was, that was the end of it. So mm-hmm. no. Okay. Uh, Sean Dunn on Facebook asks, if the WWE ever offered you a full-time job to return, would you take it? 
Yeah, I. Uh, you know, people have asked me that too. I would not go back and be part of that whole mix that's going on now. You know, NXT and Raw and SmackDown, and no, I would not. But if if uh, I could do uh, vintage stuff, you know, maybe host the shows for the network mm-hmm. on the vintage. Hell yeah, I would love that, and I I love the opportunities that I've gotten so far in the last uh, couple of years of doing. You know, some of the DVDs, and I've been back to do the Edge and Christian show, which is, uh, they got an episode coming up next month that we did a few months back, and I, I just love that. But I, if if I could do that, um, you know, as a full-time and uh, somehow make that work, or even if it was where I came back, you know, every month or so and did stuff, I would love that. But, you know, that's that hasn't been offered. Yeah, uh, Things come along here and there, and it, I'm very happy with that. I think that it's awesome that I still... Uh, get to be involved with the company um, on the outskirts, and uh, you know that's the way it is. But uh, you know, if that's something I could do, that's the way I would go back. I wouldn't do it. There's no way I would go into, you know, be a backstage interviewer or whatever on, you, on that, you, and and be on the road like that. I couldn't do it. You wouldn't even want to do that for something like NXT on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you never say never. I mean, right. if it was a gig that was, you know, I'd love to work with these young kids. I mean, it's. Uh, but, but I, I, uh, you know, as far as getting into that mix, I'm invincing my ear and I'm like, no, <laughs> it doesn't do, sound like fun at all. I don't need that stress in my life. Who do you think would be worse in your ear, Vince or Triple H? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know Triple H, uh, at all, really. Okay. Um, so, and I haven't heard him being a nightmare in people's ears. I don't know if that's, so I think the, the from, uh, Knowing Vince and what I've heard from some of the guys I know that experienced that, Vince is the king. Okay. Andrew Bogolowski on Facebook asks, who's the biggest douchebag you worked with in the WWF and why was it Bruce Pritchard? <laughs> oh, that's a picture. Oh, that's something. What, what, what do you think we should give away with that one? Uh, uh, I don't, what do you got? Corporal Kirchner uh, beret uh. or... Uh, Tugboat uh, hat or just a picture? Um, uh, give him the tugboat hat. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to give one of these away. I got a bunch of them that Fred gave me. Tugboat. Okay, tugboat sailor hat. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure Andrew would love it. All the same it. size. <laughs> Large. <laughs> all right. Who's it, who's this from? Andrew Bogulaski. B o g u l a s k i. And and. What do you say? Uh, who's the worst? What the, the biggest douchebag you worked with in the WWF, and why was it Bruce Pritchard? <laughs> well, he answered the question uh, by himself there. Uh, yeah, when I worked there, yeah, it was tough, and 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 and, and Bruce has admitted that uh, he was he was difficult to work with uh, back then. There's yeah, he was, and and he has explained it uh, the situation, but man, yeah, he could he could be. He could be a, a dick. There's no question about it. But um, you know, he has uh, he has matured, and I really like Bruce when I when I see him, you know the, the the Bruce I know now. Mm-hmm. I really like Bruce, and and you know what I have to say though, even at, even back then, um, he had he had great moments. He really did. He would, and he did look out for me yeah. um, when he was running that facility. Uh, I believe he really liked my work, and he did look out for me. 
And uh, while he could be tough at times and um, and do things that you're like, really? But um, but he did, and he didn't have to. And um, he, he had, you know, Vince's ear and got a lot of opportunities came my way because he would tell him, you know, Sean's up for it and let's let him do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I, I mean... So, <laughs> so question. who who would but be I'm, the biggest douchebag bet that you worked with back then? I mean, you talk about you talk about like people like the Warrior and Macho Man being bad interviews or whatever. But like, who was who were the guys that were like mean or didn't care well, about you? Uh, Dynamite Kid was, um, you know, I I d- did not like him. He he had a he had an aura about him, a vibe that I just just was, um, not good. So. Mm-hmm. uh you know, things come around, but, uh, yeah, Davy boy was, was fine. I just think uh, together they were a bad mix and, and he was in, you know, a lot of situations where, you know, um, he was part of the team, but I think that, uh, dynamite really, there was just something, um, he had a real mean streak about him. And, uh, I, I, uh, I, I hope that's changed in him now in his life. And I know he's, he's in, in ill health, but, uh, you know, that was just, you know, that was just not necessary back right. then. People were just trying to make a living, you know. Roman Itkin on Instagram asked, if they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? You, I think you've mentioned either off air or on air that you kind of, uh, stopped watching after you left the WWF or didn't watch so much. Did you watch any of the Attitude Era? Yeah, I did. What did, what did you think of it? Uh, because, um, well, it was, I, it, it brought me back for that uh, period of time because it, it was awesome. And, and to see what was going on between the two factions with the WCW and, um, you know, and the WWE at the time. And it was where they finally got to the point where it was effort. We can't, nothing's working here. Let's just take off, you know, let's just, just strip it down and do whatever, you know, we want to do. And I think it brought that creativity back into it where it really allowed the boys to, um, you know, develop their characters on their own. And, and uh, Triple H and, and uh, Shawn Michaels really did. I mean, I think before that, uh, you know, Triple H hadn't really found his place like that character. But God, during that period of time where you got, you really found out how, you know, funny he was and how intense he could be and, and the stuff they would do, you know, they, and they were doing this on the fly, a lot of it. And uh, Shawn Michaels, of course, was a tremendous performer, but I think that that brought, took him to another level mm-hmm. as a performer. You know, he was already tremendous in the ring, but I think as far as, uh, you know, being in front of the camera and what they did with the microphone and then uh, all the stunts that they pulled and that whole business of going, you know, down to the arena down south and that, yeah. that's, that, that was great TV. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen that in a long time. I kind of have a follow-up here from at Scott Faust three on Twitter. And it asks basically what I just asked you, would you like to have been a part of the attitude era as an announcer? And it says maybe taking a stone cold stunner, getting demeaned by the rock or perhaps becoming hardcore champion. How awesome would that be? Hardcore champion. Uh, Sean Mooney. I I don't like when they do, when they (laughs) put someone in a position, they have absolutely no business 
doing, you know, uh, getting something of merit. But I would have loved to have gotten an opportunity to uh, have taken a few bumps in the ring. I, w- I would have. I, w- I think that that would have been fun. Never got the chance. And and to Vince's credit, uh, it was always very important to him to make me credible. So he wouldn't let me do uh, these, you know, stunts like that. And mm-hmm. Ian Mooney was as close as I ever got to do it. But if you guys will remember back then, you know, Ian really was not a heel. He wasn't a shit heel like you. I would have liked him a bit. I would have loved for him to have come out uh, into the event center and crack a guitar over my head or something, <laughs> you know. Take over the event center, but they'd have none of it. That would have been great. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> At to JB. Wow, I really hope I pronounce that right. On Twitter says, I heard a rumor that you sent feelers to WWE about wanting to come back in the early 2000s. Do you think your interviewing style would have worked in that era with it being more scripted? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. You call them feelers. There was kind of a back and forth because, you know, I'd still uh, remained close to a few of the people there and um they reached out and actually even brought me back there i did an audition again and um they had you know i really i had to audition and i didn't have to sell the broom but i had to do um a promo uh with um joey styles i think that's uh was there and um uh so and then they had me do some play-by-play and I got a call that uh, they wanted to know if I could be, I think, in Cleveland or something the following week or something. And and then nothing, nothing. Not, uh, ah, we're going to go in another direction. Uh, Vince decided to do something else. <laughs> Just nothing, nothing, no explanation. Yep. And I don't know what happened. Um, and this was, I was kind of between gigs. I had been working at Fox Sports Arizona and uh, – that was later, though. This was another opportunity after that. But, uh, yeah, so what, I think what they're talking about was later. And okay. It was after I left Fox Sports, and then I was um, – so that was like 2009 or 10. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe this might happen, and then nothing. So <laughs> I went and found other work. But uh, I don't know. I don't know how uh, I would have, uh, you know – slipped into this. this was right after adam lee had been there and that didn't go very well mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i don't know at akc dog handler on twitter asks when heenan and henning heckled you from the primetime set were you in the same room on tv it looked like different studios no actually it was in the same studio it was the, and and you know what how that started was um Bobby started doing that when because I would tape these things and then they would play them and then they would tape primetime later on, you know, they, when those guys came in and then they could see it and Bobby would react. And it was very funny. And so they decided, let's have Mooney in here live. So they had <laughs> me, I would come in and I would actually just be offset. And that's <laughs> where, you know, it got really crazy because he would say all kinds of stuff, you know. He would, he Betty. Would, he would start it Betty. out. Yeah, he would. He and would, that's where we did the that whole thing with uh, my honeymoon. When they shot the stuff of me at the in the hotel room with my my bride. <laughs> <laughs> so it got crazy. After leaving the WWF, how did prospective employers react to seeing the WWF on your resume? 
Well, I thought when I left the WWF, man, uh, they were going to be beating my door down to get to me because I had all this experience. I did live and, uh, you know, everybody knew me and I was all over the world. And yeah, uh, that was not the case. It was, oh, uh huh, wrestling announcer. And that was, I beat the streets in New York and I had a really good agent. She's got me all kinds of great auditions. But it was kind of like once they realized who I was, it was like they didn't touch me. And I remember I even did – I went and did a uh, – it was an audition. And, and the, the, the role was wrestling announcer. And I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? I mean I can't even get that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a, yeah, it was a wrestling announcer. And I said, well, pff, I got this one. And No. I didn't even get a callback. You know, a callback is when they, you know, they interview 50 people and they bring back 10. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get a callback. <laughs> All right. That's funny. That, that's funny, Casey. <laughs> that is funny, yes. At Pug1988 asks, what was your favorite storyline or feud while working for the WWE? Oh, I'd say hands down Mega Powers because it had everything. Everything you'd want in a feud. Uh, with uh, Hulk and Randy, and then you had the heroine in it with, uh, you know, Miss Elizabeth and that tension. And they didn't like each other, really. When it came down to it, they didn't like each other, really. <laughs> you know, there was that tension. And, and and for whatever reason, I mean, there was probably a number of reasons, but, you know, that professional jealousy. I mean, Randy probably thought that uh, he could carry the promotion, whatever. But that really helped fuel it. There was that always that that tension between the guy, the two of them, and hands down to me, that was one of the greatest feuds ever. Mm-hmm. At Born with ESP on Twitter asks, after all these years, exactly how did you come back to the world of pro wrestling? Now it goes on to say, just a phone call from MLW, but you no. did stuff with WWE back earlier, yeah. like five yeah. or six years ago. How did how did that come about? Well, it all started, I had, I had done nothing associated with the WWE since I left in 93 until, man, it was probably early 2000s. And I remember, um, it was one of the, when they were just starting to do these, um, you know, they were doing shows that were kind of a look back at, uh, different events and they wanted me to do an interview and I knew the producer pretty well, and of course my uh, friend Chris Chambers with the WWE. And they asked, "Will you just will you do this interview?" And they actually they came out here, and uh, we set up, and I did an interview, uh, and that was it for another God, five or six years, whatever. And then the thousandth Raw. That was pretty much the one that really opened the door when I went back and I did the interview with Daniel Bryan backstage. And then that's when it took off, in a sense, as far at least keeping in touch with them. And um, then the opportunity came with the podcast. So there was a big span there. It wasn't, I, you know, I had other things going on. I was raising my kids and, and working. Uh, I had a production company at the time and working for Fox Sports Arizona, which was the regional network out here. And so I didn't uh, really even think about going back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when that all ended... Uh, with my production company, I'd worked, you know, the uh, Pac-12 network came along and basically put me out of business as far as doing stuff with, you know, with them here regionally because they took over everything. 
So I was like, okay, now what the hell? And then that opportunity came up, I thought, and thought, man, maybe I'll get back into it. And then it didn't happen. Uh, and then they, uh, you know, contacted me and I started doing the DVDs. But that's that's kind of how it uh, it happened. But Court Bauer really is the one who he he did make that uh, connection as far as getting me started with the podcast. And uh, here we are now. Uh, how long ago did Court start? calling you i mean was it was it like right before the podcast started or was he pursuing you for a while how did that kind of come about no it, was, it started i think he dm'd me on twitter and uh just started a conversation and i was resistant to it, i guess is the best word initially because i'm like what the hell will i do why would anybody want to hear my story or hear about what i had to say and then i started thinking well it'd be maybe fun to connect with some of the guys and then uh you know, I started pestering Hacksaw, and he agreed to uh, come on. And you know, but when, uh, when did yeah, when did was, Court start to get a hold of you? Or when did approximately? Well, that was you know a year and a half ago, or whatever. What not you know a year and a few months, and then it, uh, probably after we initially started talking, till we did a pilot. I guess it was probably a two months maybe before we actually put it together. At Darren Mumbert on Twitter asks, how many of the Coliseum video skits you did were done with no script? They were all amazing. And I want to kind of add to that. Talk about kind of briefly the the process of coming up with these, uh, with those skits. I mean, how did they come about? Were you, were you guys all just sitting in a room? Who was there? Well, I think that, you know, I've told the story about how this all happened from my understanding. You know, when they first... Uh, Coliseum Video at the time was, uh, uh, you know, distributed other films um, before that. And they came to the WWF, the idea that, um, you know, we'd like to market your tapes, uh, mar your matches on uh, tapes. And I don't know if uh, Vince realized, well, you know, there might be something to this. And I don't know what the deal they struck. But I think initially they said, well, well, we can, let's see. I mean, uh, I think that they uh, came together in a pretty good partnership on, on how they would make this happen. And of course, video stores were exploding. Then they had, you know, you had uh, video stores on every corner. And um, so Coliseum Video would uh, package these tapes, and they sold them for a lot of money. I think they, you know, back then they were even near about eighty dollars for a videotape. And the reason they did that is they didn't want people buying them specifically for um, their own personal collection. And they knew that people that really wanted to would spend that kind of money. But what they would do is they would sell them for that much and then these video stores would buy them and then they would rent them. And that's how, that's how they would make their money back. They'd sell, you know, it would be two bucks or whatever for a night to rent the tape, but they'd make their money and then some back mm -hmm. owning these things. So it turned into, you know, a huge uh, profit, uh, I imagine for the WWF and uh but when they initially started doing it it was just okay uh we're going to have all these matches uh, but how are we going to get from one to another and how are we going to piece them together and i said well we'll have people host them and alfred and and i lived in stanford we we're at the tv studio it would production wise they had people employed who were production staff and uh they figured that would be the easiest way to do it so shoot some wraparounds for all these things. So they would do a layout with them, and Alfred had a lot to do with that. Uh, Tony Schiavone, when he was there during the, the time he was there, he helped do the tapes too. But you know, initially, uh, Alfred had a lot to do with organizing what matches would be on these things and, and what the theme would be. And then we had a producer, Kevin Granith, 
who uh, was this young kid. Uh, his dad was an, an executive with the ABC network, and he wanted to, you know, carve his own path. And um, he was very talented, and he was fun to work with, and he was very open to ideas. And we would, uh, you know, meet and get together. Somebody would have an idea, whatever the the theme might be. Uh, they would try and find some theme that kind of brought these matches together. We probably it was a stretch most of them, but these were, you know. Pretty much up to us once we didn't script them necessarily. We had a guide of how we would do it. But we literally would go into the prop closet sometimes and just get things and, you know, ad lib and just have fun doing it. Uh, we certainly got more sophisticated as, as these things really started to take off where we did the Star Trek ones. And I told you I did one with uh, doing a bad Rod Serling imitation. I did one with my Sergeant Slaughter kind of voice and, uh, you know, Hit him hard, hit him high, you know, and <laughs> tried. Uh, we did a military one, and those they were fun. The one that was all hot, remember, is that we went on and you know, I just get sweatier and sweatier, and in the end, the trash can goes on fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, great performances, folks. So, yeah, just tremendous. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I think I got the William Shatner uh, award for overacting. Uh, <laughs> My, my I had a favorite. blast doing them. I was I, I've always been a clown at heart. I've always loved doing light humor and and that uh, self-deprecating uh, humor. And I I've loved that. I I've, I love doing it. So it was a it was a lot of fun for me. It was a playland. So here I want to. Uh, this will be the last picture I want to give away because I want to give this one. And who was who asked this question about Coliseum? Uh, at Darren Mummert on Twitter. Okay. Darren Mummert. I'm going to give you a Nikolai Volkov picture. This is really uh, a great collector's item. It's a picture of Nikolai, and he signed it. So uh, email me at uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com to get your picture, okay? So you got to listen. you got to be in it to win it, <laughs> all right? So, Case, got anything else? Because, man, we've been at it a while here. I hope I folks know. have enjoyed uh, this this uh, discussion. I'm glad we did it. I mean, I don't think we got to even half of them, did we? No. You kidding me? So we'll no. have to do another one of these. Yeah. Maybe we'll do them from time to time. But, Absolutely. Uh, like cause... I said, I'm really uh, sorry that we didn't have Tully Blanchard with us. That was originally we we're supposed to have a conversation with with Tully, but uh, that didn't work out. So uh, you got your wish, Casey. You wanted to you wanted to get me uh, in a chair and and just pepper me with questions. You oh, it's been amazing. I'll tell you that much. Really, I, oh, I mean, God. like I said, I still think I still go. Why would anybody want to hear my story? But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and um, we'll do them from time to time. I enjoyed it. I really yeah. uh, thinking back, and uh, I was surprised. Uh, you know, if anybody wanted to know what my favorite all time uh, pay per view event, I think you mentioned it, or my favorite all time event was uh, SummerSlam '92, and it wasn't just because it was uh, at Wembley. There was just so many great matches in that event, and where it was, of course, but. You know, the Bret Hart, Davy Boy Smith match where Davy Boy was fooked, as he said, uh, during the match to Bret. And he, as Bret says, he carried, you know, basically carried him through that match. And, uh, you know, the Warrior match and, and uh, you know, the Legion of Doom. And, oh, God, it was it was just a great, great event. And that crowd there was tremendous. So that's my all-time favorite event, 92 uh, at SummerSlam. All right, Casey, is that about it? Yeah, I think we've covered uh, a lot here, but uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it again sometime. All right, you know, I have to admit, I didn't know uh, how much I was going to enjoy this because uh, I felt like, you know, I was going to be in the hot seat here, And uh, but I really I really enjoyed that. We'll have to do this again. 
Uh, once again, I want to apologize to everybody. We were hoping to have Tully Blanchard on the podcast. We will continue to pursue him and hope to get him on sometime in the very near future. But, uh, you know, like I said, you know, it's tough. These guys are doing this because they want to, and uh, you have to find a, a time when they can do it. So we will continue uh, to do that. And we will, of course, have more great conversations coming up. We'll hope to have another one right here next week. Uh, once again, I want to thank our sponsors, Zip Recruiter. Uh, right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address at ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And, of course, Fantasy Foresight. Now, if you play fantasy football, you have got to start listening to this podcast. Jay and Ben focus 100% on fantasy football, and you know they break it down to a science. And, and whether or not you've been doing this a while or you're brand new to fantasy football, you got to check out Fantasy Foresight, the podcast. All right, all you guys who uh, have pictures coming to you, once again, I want to remind you: email me. You got to email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. Uh, give me your name, uh, who you want the picture made out to with the ones that uh, I'm sending. The other ones, they are, they're just signed. I'm going to send them the way they are. But I need uh, your name and an address so I can get these off to you. Uh, be sure to keep following us on Twitter and Instagram at Primetime Mooney. And, of course, check out the YouTube uh, channel. Uh, that continues to grow, and uh, we could, uh, keep posting uh, material up on there. So check it out. And, of course, uh, our Primetime with Sean Mooney facebook page and uh, check out the, you know we have the t-shirts guys all you have to do is go to moonytees.com we would love to have you check that out it's a way to keep the podcast going uh in the meantime i want to thank you all for tuning in i hope you enjoyed our little q a and uh, we'll do it again next week not q a but we'll have another great conversation something going on right here on primetime with sean mooney i'm sean mooney and i'm out